Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. Joining us today is Monica Klausner, co-founder of Vistro, the premier plant-based meal delivery, delivery services company. Born and raised in Costa Rica and now a pioneer in both vegan and subscription-based spaces, we're thrilled to have Monica with us on the show today. Hi, Monica. Hi. Welcome to Beyond the Box. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell me about Bistro. I've known about you for a long time, but you tell um, our listeners about Bistro um, and what's caused you to create one of the first vegan meal delivery services. Sure. So at Vistro, we make fully prepared 100% plant-based meals that are delivered straight to people's doors anywhere in the U.S. And my brother and I started the company back in 2012. So this is before vegan was even popular. It's, it's back then when vegan was still a bad word. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was, We grew up in Costa Rica eating very healthy food, lots of fruits and veggies. Most everything was plant-based. Meat was very expensive back then. So we'd have meat maybe once or twice a week, but the rest of the week we had lots of fruits and veggies um, and everything made from scratch. And my brother was working as an investment banker and he kept calling me and complaining that he just couldn't eat healthy. He didn't have time to make food himself. He would you know, he would get home really late from the gym and just wanted to go to eat something healthy and go to bed and then wake up the next morning and do it all over again. But he couldn't find anything healthy and he wanted to eat the way we ate at home. And at that time, I happened to be reading the China study, which I don't know if you know, but it's it's a very interesting book about the science behind why eating plant-based makes sense. And so I told him about it and he you know, noodled it for a little bit. And one day he called me and he said, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to make food the way we used to eat it at home and have it delivered to people's doors so that they don't have to you know, suffer through what I've been suffering through. Which is crazy because yes, going back to those years, it was like, oh my God, you're vegan. That's so weird. So that yes. is just, you are ahead of your time. Clearly, growing up in Costa Rica, you know, contributed to your career. Can you tell us any other ways apart from the, you know, just the the fruits and the vegetables, what other, you know, parts of growing up um, in Costa Rica, you know, shaped you? So our grandparents are all Eastern European immigrants, and they came to Costa Rica after World War II, and they had to start businesses because nobody would hire them. Mm -hmm. So... We come from a family of all entrepreneurs, my aunts, my uncles, grandparents, cousins, everybody owns their own business. And so growing up, we saw my mom had a shoe store. My dad had a factory. We saw what it was like to be an entrepreneur, to work, you know, on your own business and grow something for your own. And so my brother and I always 
really had this idea that we wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So when he proposed that I join him, I jumped on the opportunity in a second. We share very similar backgrounds. My parents are also Eastern European immigrants and the the ethic and just the the amount of work that you saw, like my grandmother was a seamstress and my grandfather owned mm-hmm. a metal shop. And my, so it's just, it's interesting to hear we share such similar backgrounds. Yeah. Now, given that, I know I didn't join my family business, but um, there's certainly challenges of working with family and there's pros and cons. What are some of the pros and cons of working with your brother? Well, I have to tell you, seven and a half years in, things are going great. However, it wasn't always like that. Mm-hmm. For you know, for starters, I'm the oldest sister. Oh wow! And so I'm used to being. I was used to being the boss. And then when we started working together, you know, the company is basically mainly my brothers. I'm his partner, but he's he's the head of the company. He's the CEO. He was my boss. Mm-hmm. So for the first couple of years we really um, struggled with that dynamic because I wasn't used to taking direction from my younger brother and he was not used to giving his older sister direction. And so it was, um, it was definitely not as much fun the first couple of years, I have to say. It cracks me up because I, that's why I didn't go into my family business because I'm the youngest of three brothers. I'm like, they're never going to take me seriously. So it's like the reverse for you. Yes, it's it's been very interesting. Now, the cool thing about it is that because we grew up in such a tight-knit family, we always have each other's backs. And to be really honest with you, there's nothing better than knowing that your partner is somebody who has your back no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And are you both based in the same town or you live in different parts of the country? No, we both live in LA. Our other two sisters also live in LA and their husbands work with us as well at Bistro. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a real family business. That's great. Well, my niece works with us and my husband works with us. Yeah. All in the family. Exactly, exactly, which I like as well for the same reasons. So getting back to Bistro, can you give me a breakdown? Like, you come to your site, what kind of meals do you offer to consumers? Like, what plans are there? So when you come to our site, you get an option to choose one of three plans. You can choose the a la carte which basically allows you to pick and choose every single one of the meals that you're going to buy. You can choose a 10-pack, a 20-pack, or a 30-pack. Mm-hmm. You can also choose the chef's choice. So if you know, for people who don't want to look around the menu and make any decisions, the chef's choice is basically a preset package. So we have a couple of different um, alternatives. You can do the gluten-free package, you can do a high protein. So if you don't want to look around and make decisions, you can always choose the chef's choice. Mm -hmm. And then there's the weight loss plan, which is a little bit different because it's built to be three meals a day for either five days a week or seven days a week. So when you choose that, those meals are going to be delivered on a weekly basis. The a la carte and the chef's choice, you can choose to have them delivered weekly, bi-weekly or monthly. Interesting. And if you had to say, I'm sure you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but I think you do probably, but what is like the most popular menu item? Is there one meal that like everyone loves? Yes. Well, there's, there's actually 10 meals that are like always the best sellers, huh. but the top best seller since day one has always been the red curry with tofu and veggies. Oh, wow. That's interesting. What's number two? Number two is the country fried chicken dinner. And how is that chicken? <laughs> it's 
So it's plant-based chicken. So it's a really interesting product. It's made to have the texture of chicken uh-huh. and the flavor sort of absorbs the flavor of whatever you marinate it in or whatever you put it in. So it works a lot like chicken. That's awesome. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna try that one. I know that, and I don't know why, but you read the news and food meal-based delivery programs are very challenging. Can you explain that? Like why are subscription-based meal delivery service businesses so hard? There's a tremendous amount of logistics that are involved. So just to figure out the way to get food cold or frozen in our case from our facility to a person's home, having to use, you know, a a carrier like FedEx or UPS, or we don't use the postal office, the postal service, but we use FedEx. So having to depend on FedEx to deliver a box of food that needs to be delivered frozen is a tremendous amount of effort. Mm -hmm. So that's just one, one part of the business. The other part of the business is how do you purchase all the supplies, make all the meals, and make sure that you're not sending people food that's been sitting in your warehouse for, uh, you know, two, three, four months. So we turn over our inventory on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So nobody will get any meal that's been in our freezer longer than one week. It's an incredible amount of work. I know because we do a lot of, and our boxes are obviously very different, but mm-hmm. when we send our boxes, sometimes there's frozen foods and it could be very challenging. So yes, do you, neither of you and your brother or your brother are chefs, are you? Or who, we are not. Who comes up with the food ideas? So we were so fortunate that the first person we hired, we actually hired this guy to be our kitchen manager, but it turned out that he is a phenomenal vegan chef. And he just sort of fell on our lap very fortuitously. And we've had him since day one. So we started out by hiring a chef to make us a book of recipes. And when we hired this guy, Jose, to come and work for us as a kitchen manager, he said to us, you know, I can make the meals in this book, but I can also make them better. So my brother said, great, make this version and then make your own version and let's see how it goes. Well, long story short, we threw away the book and oh, we wow. just let Jose make everything that, you know, comes out of his head. He's, he's really, really talented. That's amazing. And it, it kind of shows you how, like as an entrepreneur, there's so many things that just happen yeah. that are not planned. And I guess my big question to you you've come a long way. I think your business, especially now is booming. Um, Mm -hmm. But what advice would you give to entrepreneurs or startups, you know, seeking to take their business to the next level? Like you're at this point, how do you get to that next level? That's a really great question. It's the secret sauce that we still haven't uh, quite mastered. But I, I, I have to say there's a few different factors that contribute to taking the business to the next level. One of them is having really solid advisors, people who really can help you uh, troubleshoot issues that perhaps are holding you back. So we have a phenomenal advisor on the logistics end and a really incredible advisor on the marketing end who has really helped us take the business to the next level. So I would say have very solid advisors. Um, And the other thing is take risks. You know, not every risk is going to pan out. But the only way to grow a business is 
to take risks. Mm -hmm. I'm taking it in. I'm listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I launched Weight Watchers back in the day, the online, I was part of the founding team of Weight Watchers and I know customer acquisition. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. So customer acquisition is very tricky and I would love to know from you and I'm sure our listeners would too, what is one of the most effective marketing tactics when it comes to consumer acquisition for you? So for us, paid social, Facebook, Instagram, it, it works the best. You know, we have a, a, we have a big suite of channels that we work with, that we use. And I have to say, everything contributes a little bit to, you know, the bottom of the funnel. But paid social has worked out really, really well for us because it allows people to see what the food looks like and it sort of shows up in their feed you know, perhaps at times when they might be most hungry or they might be most (laughs) likely to be hungry. So paid social has been a great, great channel for us. Interesting. And so now with COVID, what's going on? Well, it's been pretty interesting. Um, In March, we saw a huge uptick in sales. Obviously, when, when everything first shut down and people were terrified to leave their houses, they wanted everything delivered. So we saw a huge uptick in sales and it pretty much carried through all the way to July when things started opening up. Mm-hmm. And not that, you know, not that the curve went, you know, straight down, but we saw a little slowdown in July once people have been had been home for a long time and really sick and tired of being in the house, wanted to get out, wanted to go to restaurants that are open outdoors. So we definitely saw a little bit of a slowdown in July and August. We're seeing, you know, this this is right around the time when our business picks up anyway, where we usually have a fairly slow summer because mm-hmm. people are outdoors, they're traveling, so they're not usually getting food delivered. And in October, our business generally starts picking up because kids are back in school, people are busy, everybody's back on their routine, and it's getting closer to the holidays. So people start thinking about, you know, what they're going to gift to their friends. And health and wellness is a huge, huge business this time of year, especially in this environment with COVID. People really want to stay healthier. I have to imagine that vitamin companies have seen a huge uptick as well. People Mm -hmm. want to stay healthier. They want to, you know, eat better so that God forbid they should get COVID or the flu that they can make it through without having to go to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the trends we saw when I worked at Weight Watchers. It's like September, October, then it's January, then it's April, and it's all for specific marketing reasons. But now with COVID, it's like, it's almost like people are probably turning to you more for the health and wellness benefits of Bistro rather than maybe more before it was weighed, weighed more on convenience and variety of the meals. Yes, I definitely think we haven't we haven't done a survey in this environment, but I definitely think that plant-based is becoming more mainstream. And mm-hmm. so people are a lot more comfortable dipping their toes in the plant-based world and trying some plant-based meals. It's also easier for people who really don't know what to do or how to make plant-based meals to order food that's already ready. So they don't have to think about how, you know, what to buy or how to put it together or how to balance a meal and right. all of that. Right. It's so interesting. So 
you know, obviously want to talk about influencers. Do you work with influencers? Are you working with them? And how do they play into your marketing mix? So influencers have been a really fascinating journey for me because mm -hmm. when we first started the business, the way that we originally launched was through influencers. So the first people who received our food were 50 vegan influencers that I found online. Huh. And those people really helped us sort of mold the product as well as understand that there was a need in the market for something like our product. So they really, you know, this is, we're talking seven plus years ago. Back in the day, influencers really were just getting started. So people who followed them were really affected by what they, but by what they said. Mm -hmm. So when they started talking about our food, we started seeing a lot of sales through these influencers. So cut to 2020 or 2019, the influencer world is super different now. There are hundreds of thousands of influencers. We definitely work with some. We're very selective with the influencers we work with. We like for them to be at least partly plant-based, if not fully plant-based. It doesn't really matter if they're fully plant-based or not, but is at least open to eating plant-based. So at least they are appealing to people who are interested in finding out about plant-based food. And usually they're women, although we do have a few men who are fabulous influencers. Uh, they're generally in the health and wellness space. A mm -hmm. lot of them are moms. Moms are a huge market for us because we know how busy it is when you have kids in the house and trying to make dinner, trying to get everybody ready, trying to get everybody in school these days if they're home or to school if they're not home. So moms are a big business for us. And that's why we like to use some mom influencers, even if they're not in the health and wellness space. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're, we're very, very selective though. I see a lot too, when it comes to the family that sometimes the mother or the father is cooking and everyone else, you know, eats meat, but that one person doesn't. So it's a good option for them to have uh, beyond that, you know, while yeah. they're cooking for everyone else. So, yeah. you know, you said it like back then, and I remember those days, um, it was a very different universe. What do you think in terms of influencer marketing, what's been the most impactful shift? Because when we're talking, I mean, I started out in influencer marketing in 2007. It was just bloggers. I mean, Facebook didn't exist right. or Twitter and Instagram. For you in the past seven, eight years, what do you think on social has been the most impactful shift? Well, I think the sheer numbers, you know, the fact that these, that there are so many different influencers and so many different verticals um, has been pretty impactful because you can work with a variety of different people. Back then, you know, when we first started, I was literally working with only vegan influencers and they weren't even called influencers. Like you said, they were called bloggers. Mm -hmm. Now there's so many different social platforms and there's so many different ways to reach their followers that each one of these influencers that we work with has a specific type of following that we that we like. So what's been in fact impactful for us is to be able to find these people that have very engaged followers who are really taking their opinion to heart and lots of them and lots of influencers. 
And do you feel that you have the most success with the nanos or the, the small ones, the mid-tier, like micros? Like where do you, like is it better for you to get one, you know, mega influencer or like 20 or 30 or 40 medium size or you know, how do you feel? I like the micro influencers the best. I feel like at that, at you know, in those numbers, their followers are still being engaged and they're still interested in what they have to say. And they're not just following, you know, because because the person is famous or because everybody else is following them. I find that in our experience, the mega influencers don't really move the needle for us very much. It's the micro influencers that make the most the most difference. Well, the other thing too is when you work with one mega, you get one kind of audience, one tone, one series right. of content from that one person. But if you work with 20, 30, 40 people, all of a sudden you have all different voices. I mean, you could reach to moms, but you could say, we're going to target some vegans and some millennials. So yes. it's all different messaging or you know takes on the topic. Yes, definitely. And we like it much better because we are also able to reach different audiences and a lot of people through a lot of different influencers. And like you said, everybody's different and they're reaching different types of people that are listening to different things that they say. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been so fascinating. Thank you. I'm going to ask my last question, which I always ask, um, and excited to hear your answer. Is there an influencer you love to follow, but hate to admit that you do? (laughs) I love that question. Honestly, I don't follow a lot of people because I don't have a lot of time to be on social media, but I have to say, I do follow Zac Efron because (laughs) I find him to be so incredibly adorable and his content is very relevant to us, you know, to me, he's, he's very um, into the environment and he's very into plant-based and he is so cute. So (laughs) you should send him a meal, send him a meal. I, you know what? I might just do that. <laughs> I might just do that. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm, by the way, you, just so yeah. you know, I'm, bl- I'm blushing. I am too. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> this has been so much fun. I hope I get to meet you one day in person when everything opens up. When I come to LA next, I'm going to call you and we will get together in person because it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. So thank you so much, Monica. Thank you so much, Sherry. And I can't wait for you to come to LA and we can meet in person. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.